You're listening to the Back Home Network, presented by Homefield Apparel. And welcome, Hoosier fans, and maybe uh, just a couple Boiler fans. Uh, welcome to you, too. Uh, it's Big Ten Basketball. This is not the Assembly Call. This is Coach's Corner uh, for the Assembly Call community. We're going live to talk Indiana-Purdue, the basketball rivalry that is at the top of college basketball. I don't care what Duke, North Carolina says. We got a rivalry game tomorrow night up here uh, close to, to where I live at uh, Mackey Arena. And joining me today is, is, is my good friend, despite that shirt that he's wearing, a really outstanding basketball guy, uh, Joe Jackson of Boilers in the Stands, the equivalent of AC uh, for us, and he also does some film work for the Big Ten called Feed the Post. Joe is just a great guy to talk basketball with, and we're having him on to get a per- Purdue perspective of this year and of the rivalry altogether. Joe, welcome uh, to Coach's Corner. How are you doing today? I'm good. I appreciate you having me on. I'm I'm looking been looking forward to this, even though – um, you know, maybe there isn't as much hype for a normal rivalry game. It's still a rivalry game, and that's that's always going to be fun, always exciting to talk about. Love talking hoops with you, so I'm, I'm looking forward to this. So we're going to spend some time going over uh, this season, what happened in game one, uh, maybe some keys to making a competitive game for Indiana, and, and then we're going to end the show talking about uh, the Big Ten. Joe covers it a lot. Uh, we cover it at Delphi Bracketology, and we'll end up with some Big Ten basketball. If you have any questions, throw, throw them in the chat. We have one from our community already. But Coach's Corner and all of us assembly call on the Back Home Network is presented by Home Field Apparel, our friends who just dropped Purdue and IU new gear today. So go to homefieldapparel.com, order some new gear. I'm wearing a University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. Just got it in the mail uh, my niece went there, and one of my former bracketology is Division One baseball player at Milwaukee. And you can never have enough home field gear. So thanks uh, to them for this sweatshirt, and I've already made some purchases of the new IU stuff. So if you're Purdue fans, I know the good brand does a lot with the Indiana Hoosiers, but there are some, some kind of nice ge- uh, pieces of gear for you Purdue fans. Go to homefieldapparel.com. So before the first game, uh, Joe and Boilers in the stands and Craig, uh, they had me on the show talking IU. We just wanted to reciprocate here. And let's review what happened in game one. It was an 87-66 victory for the Purdue Boilermakers in a game that wasn't close other than maybe the first few minutes of each half. And then Purdue kind of uh, took over from there. Joe, just your general thoughts of what happened in general for your Purdue Boilermakers to come out victorious in game one. Yeah, I mean, I think you start with, you you look at what Edie's able to do, uh, 33 points, 14 rebounds. Like, he's had success, at least at an individual standpoint, for the most part against Indiana. Some of it in losses, obviously, over the past couple of years. But it starts there. And then I thought Purdue, in general, just did a good job of making IU be a perimeter shooting team. Uh, Renew was held to eight points and, and played 35 minutes. I know Ware and Mabako, they got in foul trouble, and that is a key point. And I, we'll talk about that, I'm sure, in a sec. But um, in general, just I thought it was a really good game plan from Painter of you know putting whoever the four was on Renew, putting Edie on Ware, and usually you know Purdue always doubles the post. It's just what they do defensively. 
But instead of doubling big to big, they usually doubled with a guard. And so now Edie was still there. You couldn't get that big to big pass. Um, and, and Purdue basically just said, hey, we dare you to beat us from the perimeter. And if you do, we'll we'll adjust. We'll figure it out from there. Um, that, that little spurt in that second half, IU started beating them from the perimeter. Um, you know, I think Mabako hit a couple. I think Cubs might have hit a, hit a three in that span, Galloway. Uh, but in general, Purdue just stuck to their gun still and then did what they did offensively. You got the perimeter shooting from Lawyer, from Jones. Braden Smith didn't shoot the ball well. He played really well elsewhere. Um, and it was just a pretty, I thought, a pretty good team effort. And then when you have Zach Eady who can do what he does, it's going to it's gonna lead to a lot of wins. Indiana takes 24 threes, which we've all been clamoring for taking them. They hit eight, 33%. Acceptable. Mm-hmm. But you did bring up something that I think is is very, very key in in talking about Purdue. You talk about the guards, the freshman guards becoming sophomores. You talk about uh, Zach Eady offensively. But Purdue played pretty well defensively, as, as they have. It has taken outstanding efforts from that three-point line to beat Purdue this year at Northwestern, at Nebraska – and then later on, there's a good question about fouling, which I'm sure you you hear a lot of. But teams had to kind of be even on the foul line as well. Those are the two statistical things to beat Purdue, uh, which has only happened twice this year. So let's talk yep. a little bit more about that doubling. I, you are absolutely right. Most of the time, Purdue goes big to big and then drops a guard down to crack down on the weak side. They didn't do that. They went. Uh, they did a lot of, I think, diagonal. Uh, from the weak side perimeter, mm-hmm. they didn't go dig from the strong side, right? Y- your not, thoughts? Not usually. Yeah, ha- is that the only time you've seen that, or is that just something Painter pulls out? Uh, you know, is- what were your thoughts about that doubling technique by Coach Painter? I loved it because, like you, you just said too. Like Purdue usually doubles big to big. Um, I'm trying to. There might be a game or two that I'm missing, and just kind of trying to quickly go through where it's like they might have doubled with a guard, but I think generally it's it's usually big to big because um, also usually it's it's Edie being posted up. So then you bring over the four, whether it's TKR, Gillis first, and you get some length in there and just try to disrupt and then have your guard you know drop down on the weak side. Um, but yeah, no, like you said, I, I thought it was a really good because that was one of the things I was worried about was what exactly does Purdue do with the bigs? And it's a credit, you know, it, it's a respect to Renew, not only his scoring ability, knowing you just produce is going to have to double, right? He, they're not going to trust him one on one for the most part, but also his passing ability. He is, you know, Renew is a pretty good passer, and at, with Ware being seven foot and long and, and can hang out in that dunker spot or whatever around the rim, um, I, I think Painter was really worried about that. It seemed like, and when you go up and down the roster, I know uh, on your guys' end, three point shooting is a hot topic the whole year. Um, Painter, I think Painter just made the decision that he's going to live with those. He was not going to live with Renew getting layups or Ware getting lob dunks. So um, not something that I recall Purdue doing a ton this year, but I think Painter recognized the situation and adjusted. It'll be interesting to see if that continues, uh, which I think yeah. it, it probably would. And the best thing about that, I think, uh, not from my vantage point, but is you take away that lob, the the buddy ball that mm-hmm. we've nicknamed it, where you know you double and they throw it up, and because of the size advantage of Ware being seven two and athletic, he just grabs it and dunks it, uh, it before the guard can come down. And even when the guard is in good position, you have a size advantage, and so that's something tomorrow night for everyone to watch is exactly how does Coach Painter and the Purdue Boilermakers decide to play 
uh, Indiana defensively, where Indiana's strength is definitely in the inside w- with those two. But let's talk about another strength. Uh, Mackenzie Mbako has played really well, and he's he's moving uh, his game uh, to a, to another level, especially defensively. If he can play halfway decent defensively, he's been able to hit some shots. He's been driving more, uh, coming off screens. And in that first game, Joe, he had seven real quick points. And you pointed out an, just an excellent point in in the preview show that. You thought Lawyer would be on Mbako and that it would be a key if Lawyer was struggling that they would sub Lawyer out for someone on the bench to guard Mbako. Well, it didn't get that way because that far because Mbako got in foul trouble and Coach Woodson benched him for the rest of the half, I think at the 17-minute mark according to my, to my notes. But he had seven points early. And what mm-hmm. happens there, in my opinion, is if you put pressure – on lawyer, then you're forcing Coach Painter to have to make a decision, maybe a little better defender than the offense, and lawyer was a key offensive piece in that first half. How do you think that matchup goes, and is that maybe a spot where Indiana can make this a competitive game if Mbako can stay out of foul trouble, where as well was in foul trouble? But that matchup is intriguing to me. Yeah, when you go when you, when you you go at through the roster, right, like that is where um, – lawyers going to match up i would assume again i would assume you know because johnson's out for a while right yes indefinitely right now yeah so smith will take cups and i think jones will take galloway once again just because of his ability to get into the lane and facilitate and so that does leave lawyer on mibako um and mibako has you know a few inches of height on him and just you know lawyers when lawyer gets taken out of the game more often than not it's because of the defense event um and so you get Mibako where you can have him kind of running off the, the stagger pin downs and things like that, that IU runs. Um, it's so definitely a way to attack Purdue, right? That is probably, that's Purdue's weakest defender of the starting five. And there are times where it's just, you kind of have to take him. Um, and now as of right now, the guy that's coming in more is Ethan Morton, just because of, of what he can do defensively. But then if that happens, then IU has the potential to basically ignore Morton. And now you're you're getting a little bit more of a not completely ignored, but more of a four on five type thing on the other end. Um, that's yeah, that's going to be a huge matchup. Like I think one of the ways Indiana stays closer, even wins this, is Mibako is going to have to have a big night. He's going to have to hit threes. He's going to have to be aggressive too, right? You, it'll it'll be good if he can hit threes, um, but he can do that against any defender. Not he can't get to the rim as easily against every defender as maybe Lawyer, um, and so we'll we'll see what Heidi is. Heidi hasn't been playing great for Purdue. He hasn't been playing a ton of minutes. It's been more of Morton in that wing spot off the bench. So, um, but also the other thing is if Mibako gets cooking, like it wouldn't be unreasonable to see Jones get a crack at him. I mean, Jones just shut down AJ Store. Um, he he had a pretty good defensive game against Dalton Connect way back early in November. Um, so like he's had success against these bigger wings. I'm curious to see if that happens. I, I assume to start, though, he wouldn't. Yeah, and and really, I think Indiana, the stall that the stir that uh, stirs the drink, or the straw that stirs the drink. There we go. A whole week of teaching kids has got me a little confused there. But uh, the straw that stirs the drink is Trey Galloway. Uh, yep. A close game against Kansas. Uh, he got going in the second half to start a Purdue game and ended up with 17 points, I believe. And then just yep. now the comeback, uh, the 19 points in the second half against Ohio State on the road to come back from 18 points when he gets going and that little zoom action that the Indiana had success last year with the handoff at the elbow and now they're going to a little more of a wide uh, with a pin down to the corner, guard to guard pin down. 
And then Galloway's coming off of that into a handoff, and then they're doing like a, a roll replace with the big on the side. So it'll be interesting mm-hmm. to see what happens there. But I do think Lance Jones on Galloway is the way you got to go because you really don't want Galloway to get going. You're going to kind of roll the dice again with a freshman, talented in Baco, but he can get in foul trouble. He can he can do some things and then make the adjustments off of that. But let's talk Lance Jones and Fletcher Lawyer a little bit for our Indiana fans. I thought they were the key in, in game one. Uh, both had uh, over 15 points, hit some daggers of shots early, some some drives, and, and Lance Jones has done that in a lot of games, hit big shots. I don't think he misses uh, an opportunity to take one. Uh, the dude, no. the dude, the dude wakes up shooting baskets, uh, you know, from his apartment into Mackey. Uh, he has, he has no filter, but what no. an addition for, for Purdue and, and, and a weapon because he can guard and he can score. I thought both of those young men were effective in game one. Your thoughts on those two. Yeah. I mean, starting with Lance Jones, he's just, he's been a revelation this year. Um, he went from even we, I, we at Boilers in the stands, I think we're, like I'm not, I'm not trying to take credit because we were still way off, but we were on the higher end of like projecting Lance Jones of like, oh, he could be like a 15 minute a game guy. He's going to give good defense and he can get to the rim and he just live with the shooting. Um, and one thing we did mention was like when you go through his three point percentages in his career, you look at last year it was 26 percent and that's the number that stands out. But he's also shot like 43 percent. He's just we call I call it the Lance Jones experience, and, and that's what it is. It's you're going to get some nights where he's just, you know, like an IU night where he goes for 17 or, or um, you know, Wisconsin. I think he had over 20, I believe. Uh, yeah, he had 20 against Wisconsin, 26 against Northwestern. Like he has these nights where he can just do it. Like you said, he's not afraid to get up any shot. But most of the time, it's not a necessarily a bad thing because when you go through Purdue's roster, Brainsmith's played phenomenal this year um, and, and he's been much better. But at times there's just like, this who's going to actually create a shot if you can't get the ball down to Edie. Lance Jones will never, ever be afraid. I don't care if they're down 20 in, in a road environment or whatever. Lance Jones will take the shot. Um, and then he's the best defender on the or best perimeter defender on the team. And that's not really close right now. He's, you know, he's only 6'1, but he's sturdy. He's 200 pounds. Like he plays physical. Um, and that's why you see him get the AJ store, the Dalton Connect matchups or the Boo Booey matchups. Like he's going to. He's just going to go guard the best perimeter defender or perimeter player. It's not going to matter if he's six foot or six eight. He's going to get the crack because that's what Painter needs. Um, and it's just been, yeah. I mean, he's quickly become the third most important boilermaker. And that's only because Edie's dominant and Brain's one of the best point guards in the country. Like, it's it's pretty wild to see what he's done. And then going to Fletch, um, you're seeing a little bit more of the consistency consistency this year. He's up to 43% from three, uh, 51% in Big Ten play. Last year, he started out pretty well. He had a little bit of a, a lull around the December, early January mark. And then towards March, fell off. Him and Brayden both, the freshman legs, freshman wall, whatever you want to call it. Um, this year, he's just he's giving... I would say for the most part, a little bit more consistent effort. He is going to shoot threes. He's going to knock down threes at a pretty high rate. And he isn't the best at getting to the rim, but he's another where it's kind of similar to Lance Jones, where it's just like sometimes you just need something down there. And lawyer's not going to be afraid to go at the rim. Um, his liability is defensively, and, and Purdue teams have tried to take advantage of that. Notably, you know, Northwestern, that first matchup when Boo Booey just said, Fletch, come here every single possession. Um, but, you know, they're both. Both Fletcher and Land Lance Jones, just 
can give such huge sparks for this team. And when you have that combined with Braden and Zach Eady going to do their things, that's what's made Purdue really tough this year. It's not obviously Eady being the, you know, the best player in the country again, and Braden Smith being one of the best point guards is gigantic, but it isn't just them. This team can beat you in multiple ways this year. And that's, that's why I think they're a lot different than last year. So you're, you're the number two team in the country in the polls, the number one in Delphi bracketology overall seed, just a top-notch team. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, and you're really uh, the, the clear-cut favorite for the Big Ten. You're playing a rival that you handled by 21 points that has shown some ability to pop here or there. They're having a down year. So as a, a Purdue fan, a Purdue commentator, what concerns you and what would be the keys for us Indiana fans to have a chance coming down in the last three minutes uh, to pull off a, a huge upset tomorrow night. What do you think the keys are with the Indiana roster? What do you think going forward? Yeah, so for, for this game for Indiana, I would say, one, you you need both Mibako and Galloway to have good games. Um, they, they're they going to have to score the ball. Um, and, you know, I, I think Purdue's going to try to take away Renew and Ware as much as possible. Obviously, you want good games from them, but like it might just be harder to come by. If Galloway and Mabaka get going, it might be able to alleviate some pressure there. Um, they got to knock down threes. You mentioned it. The, the Purdue's two losses, the Northwestern shot 50% from three on high volume, and Nebraska shot 61% from three on high volume. Um, that's just right now that that's one of the things that has to happen. So, you know, IU, I don't know what their season high for made threes is, but they might have to beat it um, or, or at least come close to it probably around 10 to 12 on you know, pretty good volume. Um, and then defensively, it's something when we had you on our show, you kind of talked about it was just like, you have to make the choice of, are you going to live with the perimeter guys? Or are you going to live with Zach Eady going for 40? And I know um, if I remember right, you were saying, you know, you just let Zach get his and you take away everything on the perimeter. Um, even that, you know, still easier said than done. Uh, but if, if IU can knock down threes, get their, their wings and guards going, and then Edie's, you know, you're basically not trading threes for twos because that's not Indiana style, but you're making life hard on Edie um, and shutting down the perimeter. That's kind of got to be the key. Like Purdue's going to have to have an off shooting night. They're shooting 44% from three at home uh, as a team on the year. Um, so it's, again, not easy to do, but those are scenarios. As McBacco goes, you get Lawyer out of it. You have to bring in Morton. And then from there, Indiana can do enough defensively to slow Purdue down uh, and keep it in a ball game force some turnovers, and, and you're right there. I think guard pressure is, is important. When Indiana had success last year, uh, they were able to to push Purdue back more towards half court, which made longer passes into Zach Eady. I don't think you stop mm -hmm. Zach Eady. You can double him. You can triple him. You can do whatever. The young man has just really earned all of the player of the year accolades and all, all of that. Uh, he, he's just uh, – I think I heard someone say, and I, I'm sorry I can't attribute it correctly, that he distorts the game in so many ways. It might have been Coach Wright on one of the studio shows, but he does. He distorts it defensively for the other team where Indiana likes to score at the rim a lot, and Coach Woodson mm -hmm. likes the, the, the post-up game. He likes the drives, and, and you have Edie sitting there on where, and he can play back in, in the rim and distort at the rim defensively, and then what do you do offensively? Uh, you have to try to limit his offensive rebound putbacks. You have to try to push him off to maybe five or six feet physically and hope that jump hook is off. 
uh, more likely on the road than happening in Mackey where they're very, very comfortable. But if you can put pressure – and you saw this, Joe, that Indiana filed crazy in the first half. Yeah. It was part of the reason they got down 22. They were trying to be physical, but they weren't smart and physical at the same time. And they filed, mm-hmm. and then they got in the bonus, and then the free throws, and then foul trouble. But you saw – I think the secret is to be physical. And this is, again, we have a good question. I'm going to jump to that right now. Uh, uh, Gene Paul uh, Satar, I'm going to butcher that last name, but but Gene Paul says, hey, coach, uh, my question is, what do you make of the foul disparity that Purdue seems to be enjoying, most clearly exemplified by the Northwestern game? Uh, given the way the Big Ten refs are calling games, it seems simply impossible for IU to have a chance. Uh, what what am I missing? It, it, is, the multi, it is Zach Eady. And it is the multitude of actions. When you're running handoffs and triple, you know, ball screens and and things like that, you're trying to fight through screens. And we've seen Gabe Cups of ours at the Ohio State game. He tries to be physical and beat people over ball screens. And you're constantly moving and screening for people. That creates fouling. And the way to beat Purdue is to beat Purdue up. Uh, I hate to say Mm -hmm. that. Not, Not outside the rules, not flagrant ones or twos, which unfortunately we had a couple uh, in, in the Purdue game, which is uncalled for uh, in, 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 from from our end. But you have to be physical to push them out of what they want to do, and you're going to get foul calls on, on that. Now, I know a lot of us will be upset with Zach Eady. We think he fouls more than what he gets called. But your thoughts, you've probably heard it on your show. You probably see it on social media all the time, and you're on the other side of it. You're like, glad we're shooting 42 to 8, right? Yeah. But you also watch Big Ten basketball. Is there – what is your take on the the foul disparity uh, from Purdue? So my, I'll go a little bit deeper after I give my generalized take. My generalized take uh, on specifically Edie and that is, does he get away with stuff? One hundred percent, one hundred percent. My take has always been though that for every one of those that Edie gets away with, I could go find two or three probably that should have been fouled, called the other way. Um, and so yeah, you can. There's definitely clips that come around and just like yeah, no, that's probably a foul on Edie or whatever. Never will deny that he just gets he has to get hacked so much. And um, you talk about the physicality, like when Edie's had his like like he has his off games and and we we'd make a joke of it at this point on on boilers in the stands, but like like Wisconsin, he had he it was it wasn't a great game for him. He had 18 points, 13 rebounds, and three blocks. Um like, but it wasn't because Kral was able to kind of push him out a little bit and now Edie's off of his rhythm. Uh, or even it, it sounds funny because you know was Purdue won by 32 and, and Edie ended up with 16 and 10 in, in only 25 minutes of play. But Terrace Reed for Michigan, he did a great job on Edie, and you have to just you just have to shove basically shove him out um, and ca- make him catch a you know 10 foot mark instead of the eight or six. Um, and then t- going to the free throws, it's like you just look. It's you look at how Purdue plays and you look how teams play against Purdue. And they're just not teams that want to go at Edie. Um, I don't have the exact percentages, but the last I checked, it's like it's like 13% or 12% of uh, shot, 12% fewer of shots come at the rim when Edie's on the floor compared to off, like for other teams. Like teams just don't drive at him. And so when you look at the Northwestern game, I know when you just purely look at the 42 to 8, it's like, how does that happen? When you go through the game, what was Northwestern doing? And doing ex- insanely well jumpers they were getting jumpers they were getting open threes they were getting pin downs and curling and so if they were getting a two it's a probably a little bit of a floater or it was a wide open dunk um and then you go to the other end like 
Northwestern specifically, they foul more than any team in the entire conference. Like it's not just a Purdue thing. Um, that just gets exemplified. I mean, Collins said before the game, he's like, I have 15 fouls to give between my three bigs. He gave 15 fouls between the three bigs. So um, I, under- I understand the frustration from the outside, and especially because there is 100% things that could be called on Needy. I just think it's could it's very easily can go the other way, and that's where it gets annoying, where it's just like both sides are sort of right, and now these refs are in this impossible spot of they're probably never going to get everything right. I think Zach Eady is the toughest uh, player to officiate in college basketball because he, yeah. he's just so big and strong and people bounce off him. And then when he, he moves his elbows, he's going to hit most people in the forehead because yep. of the size disparity. And, and then just a, a simple block out. He sends people out, you know, three counties. He's just physical. Uh, mm-hmm. And do you call everything and then put the young man out of the game do you not call stuff, and then you get coaches and fans all in an uproar? I just think he's difficult to to officiate. Yeah. I know everyone gets mad at the officials, but the officials at this level are some of the best. They don't always do what we think, and when you see a high-definition television and you see calls uh, in slow motion, you, you get a little frustrated. But that I just think that's a real, real um, and, hard guard and a hard, and he's just, hard officiating. Yeah, and it's just – like he, he plays like 35 minutes a game, or I don't know what his actual numbers at. His actual number is probably closer to 30, but in meaningful games, he's playing 35, 36 minutes and the dude does not take a playoff. And so it's, that's what adds to it too, is it's, it's every play that it's somebody's either hanging on him or he's banging with somebody or push it every play. And so that's all, I think that's also part of it too. Cause then it's like you said, how do you call, like, how do you call everything as a, as a rep? And, and that's where it just gets tough. So it's it's going to be an uphill climb for us Indiana Hoosiers, especially in in Mackey, with just as a fantastic uh, atmosphere, and it's going to be loud, and the venom's going to be, you know, flying all all over the place. Uh, but I do think you were spot on with uh, Indiana basketball. When they win games, they have one or two just super outstanding performances. Hood Shafino with the pull up jumper that never missed. takes down Purdue and that's not driving in the lane against Edie that's not settling for threes but that was that was a recipe uh you had Trace Jackson Davis in 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 the first game last year with the the Chicago action the little floater from Trey Galloway caused a lot of problems and then we had the alley oops to to an NBA player so Indiana's got to find a way to replicate that to be in a in a ball game in a very very tough uh tough environment I'd like to transfer now to just talk a little bit and share with our viewers how Coach Painter uses um, his bench as far as rotation, minutes. I heard him say once he wants one ball handler out there at all times between Lance Jones and, and Braden Smith, and he tries to get some rest while the other's out there and vice versa. But explain to, to our, our followers, we've had issues with massive subs and usually at the eight-minute mark, the production of the Indiana basketball team drops off as the two, three, four subs come in the game from Coach Woodson. So how does that compare to to Matt Painter's approach with using the bench? Yeah, I think as the season's gone on, um, it's definitely the rotation has slimmed down to more of basically an eight-man rotation at this point. Um, you first gets a few minutes in the first half usually and maybe a couple in the second. Uh, that ball handler thing that you mentioned, so I, aside from garbage minutes and all that, I do not recall an enti- like a single minute this entire year that two of Braden Smith, Lance Jones, and Ethan Morton were not on the floor. He just has two of those at all times. Um, Ethan Morton will be the secondary ball handler if needed when Lance Jones runs point. And that's for the 
four minutes a game that Brain Smith sits, which has been a topic for us kind of Purdue fans of like, there's been a couple games where Brain just looks gassed at the end. And you look and he's played 39 minutes, but at the same time, like he brain just sets up everything for Purdue pretty much. And you just can't like the offense just falls off so much without him in there. Um, so there is that, but you're going to, what's going to, I mean, I can basically just go through the rotation. It's, it's pretty much the same every game at this point. And then towards the end, painter just goes with whatever lineups needed. Um, you get five or so minutes of that starting lineup with TKR at the four. And then you have, you know, Smith lawyer Jones plus Edie. Then Mason Gillis is going to come in for TKR at the four. And then one of Mortner Heidi is going to come in for usually Lance Jones to get him his rest. Um, and so you still have the two ball handlers. You go through that for a bit. And, and then it basically just kind of oscillates between, you know, TKR and Gillis. Whoever has the better matchup is going to get the more minutes towards the end of the half. Generally, it is Gillis. Um, and then if you need ball handlers, it's, it's going to be for sure Smith and Jones. Um, and then one of Lawyer, Heidi, or Morton. And then that Lawyer, Heidi, Morton is probably the biggest toss-up. Um, where we mentioned, like, if Mabako gets going, you're going to see probably more of Morton and Heidi. If not, you're going to see more of Lawyer because of what he can do offensively. Um, and Painter trusts all eight of those guys a lot. First has just been squeezed, and it's like he has a lot of talent. It's just not quite there because Zach Eady plays 36 minutes a game or whatever in, in meaningful games. So it, it becomes hard there. Um, and so, but. I mean, when you look, this team isn't quite as deep as maybe we were hoping as Purdue fans going into the season. But at the same time, coming off the bench, you you have Mason Gillis, who started for four years for Purdue. And you have um, Ethan Morton, who started for like two years. Like you, you basically have six starters for Purdue and Mason Gillis. Ethan Morton has accepted his role as a senior coming off the bench. And then your only guy that hasn't started consistently in rotation right now out of all nine, including Caleb first, the only player that hasn't started at some point consistently is Camden Heidi, a redshirt freshman. Um, and so there is that depth and painter can rotate through guys if needed. But at the end of the day, he's going to rock with his, with Smith Jones, Edie, usually Gillis, and then whatever wing he needs at that point. So I, I want to ask you about an Indiana Hoosier who is is getting a lot of love down here recently, and that's Anthony Leal. Uh, mm -hmm. He is he has waited forever uh, to to get some run, and he's come in and he had a game the other night of thirteen points, a career high, and then he hits a game winner in the last twenty seconds at Ohio State. Former Indiana Mister Basketball. As we're talking bench and rotations, this is someone that our uh, fan base is just extremely proud of because he represents what both of our programs do is good Indiana state of Indiana basketball uh, with Gene mm -hmm. Katie, Bob Knight, motion offense, good defense, all of those things. And I think Anthony Leal really represents that as a, as someone from afar watching a young man like that, who hasn't played a lot, all of a sudden now get his run. Your thoughts on our Anthony Leal. It's been fun to see. I mean, he's, got really good minutes and, and good production over the last four games um and part of it is just confidence too like I, I there was the clip and i i wasn't watching live the indiana ohio state game because i was i was watching the rock fight that was maryland versus Rutgers. um but i, I saw the clip and i believe it was right before he hit the game winner and you just see him in the huddle and he just tells everybody's like hey we're gonna go win this like that's the senior leadership that you want from from a guy even though he's off the bench hasn't had the you know, the time at Indiana that he's wanted, I would assume. Um, but you just sometimes need that as a team, right? Some, a, a leader off the bench comes in, gives you a spark, especially with kind of how the Indiana bench has gone this year. 
Uh, I know CJ Gunn hasn't had the year that most would have liked. Um, and then Walker, Sparks, are, are they're more bigs. But like when Johnson's out, really your only backup guard besides Leal is CJ Gunn, who is, has, hasn't had a great year. Um, and so I'm as much as I am a Purdue fan, I am also a Big Ten fan. And so I, I try to limit my bias as much as possible. I'm not perfect, but um, when like I look at a guy like Anthony Leal, it's it's just fun to see. I'm an Indiana kid going to Indiana and, and being able to provide that that spark that you know in a game like tomorrow, if Indiana is able to stick around, like there's a decent chance that Leal's gonna get minutes and, and be a reason why. I'd like to get your opinion too, as as you are a fan of the Big Ten and, and you watch a lot of basketball and a lot of Big Ten basketball. Indiana will be without Xavier Johnson. He's had an up and down career, had a really good run at the end of his first year in in twenty two, and then injuries last year kept him out, and then injuries again this year has just unfortunately hurt hurt the young man. He would make Indiana better tomorrow with his speed of beating people off the dribble, and I also also think defensively, uh, he's undervalued with his pressure that he could put on the Purdue ball handlers. But we have a young man, Gabe Cups, who is a freshman, and you've seen freshmen, two freshman guards last year. Uh, Gabe Cups is not the same player as Xavier Johnson, but he ha- is a, is going to be a good college basketball player. Share with us your thoughts on what you've seen uh, as on Gabe Cups and, and what he brings to the Indiana Hoosiers. Yeah, I think – First thing, it's just been unfortunate with the injuries and stuff that Cubs has been thrown into a role that he probably um, wasn't quite ready for. And, and, you know, playing these starter level minutes like he has it in him. And and I do think he'll be a very good player with even maybe even next year. I could totally see a sophomore jump from him. Uh, You know, kid that works hard. He understands the game. Like you just see you can see it in a high school film and you can see it this year at times like he just understands the game. He has that you know, that IQ that you want from a point guard to be able to kind of run the offense. Um, I think he. Maybe, you know, he isn't the most physically built, but he has that physic that kind of like mindset to him of, you know, he wants to get into defenders. He wants to try to play physical. He wants to try to get through ball screens defensively. And that's, you know, to a lesser extent, kind of what Xavier Johnson brings too, right? Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see where he goes. Like, I think he can be a skilled offensive player, somebody that is able to run pick and roll um, and just kind of orchestrate the offense in a way that, you know, IU hasn't quite been able to do this year. Uh, but you know, I, I think more than anything right now, it's just with, unfortunate that he's been probably thrown into a role much bigger than what he was anticipating, what he was probably ready for. Um, sometimes it works. You know, I, I I don't know if you would say last year, Brainsmith and Fletcher Lawyer were necessarily ready, but they got thrown in and it worked out. So, um, but I don't think like, I don't think anybody should write off Gabe Cups or anything like that, even if he hasn't statistically given the season that many have wanted. There's still plenty of good things that he's done. Yeah, I, I've, I'm a big believer in, in Gabe Cups. Uh, again, for a lot of the reasons, uh, Anthony Leal, you know, you have, you know, your Trace Jacksons, your Race Thompsons who who do a lot and mean a lot for a program. Uh, and I think he, he was meant to be a backup point guard this year and learn the system mm-hmm. and learn the college game and come in and give valuable minutes, 15 to 20 minutes maybe as a freshman, thrown into a starter. And then it's just different. The, Xavier is speed. He just blows by people. And then, he, you know, when he's going well, he's an assist machine as well as a scorer. Uh, and, and Gabe Cups right now is not. He, he's a little, got to be a little more nuanced. He's a little more of a point guard that initiates offense when you're, when you're moving. And, and Coach Woodson likes to have a lot of isolation and one-on-one and find the matchup and draw two and then kick. Uh, and, 
and Gabe has to work his way into that is, is yeah. where I'm thinking. But I'm going to come back yeah. to you as an expert on the Big Ten and, and roster construction. as It's been a big conversation uh, here in, in the world of Indiana basketball about roster construction. What kind of players do you need? Purdue has a, a pretty solid – inside game you have Trey Kaufman Ren Gillis at the four that can do a variety of things and you we've talked about the guards but you have Illinois and Michigan State what do you see in the Big Ten is a, is an ideal type of roster in order to be successful not only in the Big Ten but are there any changes that the Big Ten needs to make in order to go beat the Dukes the North Carolinas the, the Kansas thoughts on roster construction yeah, that's an that's an interesting question because I think you can go through a decent bit of of these rosters and just be like, does it really fit? I mean, Indiana is one of them. Michigan is clearly one. Um, Maryland is the other one that comes to mind off the top of my head. And so it's it. I think Big Ten is starting. To, you see a little bit more diversity. You're starting to see that with like how Illinois is playing, how Northwestern's playing. And we'll see what happens when Bowie leaves for them. Um, even Michigan State is guard oriented right now, and and they're struggling, but. Um, I think we're starting to see a little bit going away from purely bigs to incorporating some of these guards, which is what Big Ten probably just needs to find more success in in uh, in March. I mean, even when you look at Purdue, like if if Purdue if I know it's a big if <laughs> if Purdue goes far in March, um, Edie's going to have to be great, obviously. But it's going to be Lance Jones. It's going to be Braden Smith. It's going to be Fletcher Lurie. Like those are the guys that are going to carry him that way. Um, and so I think you just you have to find a roster that, in some capacity, you still need some sort of inside game, right? You still need some sort of big that he doesn't have to be the star of of, all, of the teams, as I think kind of the Big Ten is synonymous with at this point. Um, you know, but you look at like Michigan State. If they just had a, a a solid rotation big, are they on the bubble right now? They're probably not. Um, but then you look at Illinois, who you know they're not really their their big is Coleman Hawkins, who isn't necessarily a traditional big, and so. But Brad Underwood's done a really good job of finding six, seven guys that can all play that way together. Of you know whether it be in isolation, and you're just going to move the ball more than they have in the past. Um, but yeah, I, I think you need some sort of big, but you're it's transitioning more to like this conference really needs guards and. I mean, I've said it a couple of times, like when you go through the point guards right now in the Big Ten, there's there's a lot of there really are a lot of good ones. And a lot of them are pretty young. Brain Smith, Bruce Thorne, um, you know, Elijah Hawkins for Minnesota will come back next year. Um, you know, I'm just not naming everybody off the top of my head, but just going through a few like there are more talented point guards. And and I think that's what's needed um, quick. I wanted to quickly go to IU because for a sec, because. Uh, it's unfortunate. I'm excited to see hopefully him healthy and, and playing next year, but. Somebody that like Indiana would have needed this year is a Ja'Kai Newton, a guy off the bench that is this dynamic kind of combo guard wing um, can create. Like those types of players, I think we're going to see sprout up more in the Big Ten. And hopefully as that happens, you start seeing more postseason success for the Big Ten in general. Yeah, C.J. Gunn, what we were hoping he would make that freshman to sophomore leap, and he has not. He's really, really yeah. struggled. But that's that prototypical 6-6, can shoot the three, can elevate, mm -hmm. can drive. I'm really big on closers. I think you need a point guard. I need, think you need a, a guy that can come off screens and heel, toe, toe, shoot, not just you know kick out three. And I think you need three, a slasher, finisher, uh, Ayu DeSumo from Illinois. Go get the bucket. Yes, we're yeah. going to go get the bucket. But I want to uh, continue the talk here about the stretch four 
and the ability for fives to shoot the three. And can teams win with two bigs that aren't stretch stretching the floor? And I know that's kind of a, a loaded question here from, from the Indiana universe, but I watch so much basketball with the with the bracketology stuff that the Nebraska five is jacking up threes and, and hitting them in, in games. And and he's not super athletic. And then you, you turn on, you know, VCU and their five is doing that. So you do need a five. You need, do need a stretch four. You do need to post up at times in, in this game to get fouled. But the game is changing to a face-up game, even in the post. Can you win with a double post, double low post? I think you can win with one, but I yeah. – you you watch basketball a lot too. Are are we nuts or are we just you know the negative people because we're losing? What are your thoughts on that piece of the four and the five in roster construction? I think at this point one of them has to be able to shoot in sub. You have to be able to shoot enough to get respect, right? Because there's a difference between being able to knock down an open three and getting respect, right? I, I think if right now if Kalel Ware against in, against Purdue in the first possession if he picks and pops at the top of the key i don't expect Edie to close out at him it's going to be if he makes it he makes it if he makes two or three then they adjust um and so you have to be able to get respect from one of them i mean you see it even with Wisconsin what Purdue did there was and Tyler Wall eventually got his but um basically if Tyler Wall was more than 12 feet from the rim Edie was just was just staying in the paint and Stephen Crawl got taken out of the game um Purdue does it some with TKR can he's one of those where it's kind of like where, like I said, where TKR his I don't his percentage is decent on the year. It's not high enough volume to get any respect. So he's gonna get his one open attempt at the game and and it's basically just a coin flip, right? It's does it go in or not, and you move on to the next possession. But Purdue has Gillis who can come in and has been one of the best shooters in the Big Ten. Um I think at this point you need at least one because it just it makes it easy. When you have at least one, then teams can't completely ignore a player, uh, at least on the perimeter. And right now, I think you're seeing a lot of teams do that, where there's just if one of you know one of these bigs that can't shoot goes out there, then they're basically just saying we're going to zone up our big, play at the rim. Um, also, a guards at, at being able to knock down shots is nice. As as I look at uh, Maryland and Rutgers specifically, like it's not like they play double big for the most part. They just don't have dudes that can knock down <laughs> yeah. threes. Uh, it's a guards game. Bob Thompson, who is in charge of all of our music here, always makes fun of me for saying that over and over and over again. But now you Indiana fans find out that I'm not the only guy who thinks it's a guards game and you need stretch fours and, and you need even fives to pick and pop. But, Joe, you brought up something that I think that I would really take advantage of against Purdue, and I'm not saying it's the secret sauce because I still think it's a long shot tomorrow night. I'd pick and pop Ware all night long and tell him to shoot six, seven threes. And if he misses, we're going to get beat anyway. But if he hits, if he has one of those games, four or five, now you're forcing Coach Painter and the Purdue Boilermakers to change. Now maybe you have uh, – you put Gillis or Trey Kaufman-Wren on a seven-footer, and now you can – you know, do some different things. And that's – you You got to have your thumb on this game. I think that's something that Coach Painter and his staff do really well at watching and seeing where the advantages are, seeing where they need to make adjustments. I'm not sure Indiana does that very well within the game. I think they plan well. That's why the first seven or eight minutes, Joe, are really good of each half because I think they mm -hmm. sit down and they're good, really good after timeouts and out of bounds. Why? Because they need time to think about it. Uh, and I'm trying to be fair here, but then sometimes we get the same stuff over and over again. That's not working. I would pick and pop where 
all night long um, and, and, or renew whoever's being played off of, yeah. I would pick and pop and say, you know what? We're going to shoot a ton of threes because we can't score a whole lot against Edie. I think sometimes you got to take advantage, but I think that's there. So we got a few minutes left. I do thank you for your time. And, and I, there's some very nice comments in our chat here. Uh, Sherry, uh, we appreciate uh, your, your kind words about this conversation. Coaches in the Big Ten. I, I think there's some outstanding coaches. You get to go into the press conferences. I think there's some really, really good coaches Besides Coach Painter, who are some of your favorites, either because of the way they coach or just the way they interact in the media that you like from the Big Ten? So this year specifically, um, I've, I've loved what Ben Johnson has done in Minnesota, and their non-conference was was easy and all that. But like uh, this was, you know, Minnesota was a bottom two team coming into the season, and they're right in that the midst of it you now in the big 10, I, I think he's done really well with adjustments in the second half. Uh, so he's one I've enjoyed watching. Um, I think Fred Hoiberg, I enjoy his style of play watching where it's just kind of this more free flowing and he has the guys that can do it, which helps, uh, but more of this free flowing and just kind of, you know, read and react type offense. You can initiate with your big at the top of the key, whether it be through handoffs or back cuts off of him and things like that. Um, so that's been fun. Um, this one is probably the most controversial, but like, I love Brand Brad Underwood for whatever he is. Like I, he just You yes, are my man. That it, it's it's like Coleman like Coleman Hawkins as much as there's the antics, Coleman Hawkins is one of my favorite players to watch in the Big 10 and yes, there's the the yelling and and complaining about Red, all of that. But at the end of the day, like I just I in for I enjoy watching them play. Like I just do. I think Brad Underwood especially this year has done a good job where um, you know, they're still not like a crazy high assist team, but they move the ball better. And for me watching Illinois, it's, it's, I think it's the most puzzle like team where it's just like, what matchup can we exploit and how do we get that matchup? Um, and then he's built a defense that's fallen off a little bit, but is going to be a defense that similar to like a Purdue and, and is just going to force a lot of mid range shots and you live with them. Hawkins has been great and leads that Domask obviously has been good. Um, and but yeah, I I know it probably gets hate, but I just I have to be truthful. And Brad Underwood's one of my favorites. Hey, Craig, Craig just commented in the chat. So, no, Joe, no, <laughs> just no. But you are my man. If we weren't working tomorrow night, I'd buy you a beer or drink or something. <laughs> I catch a lot of grief uh, from our assembly call fans, especially one of our uh, contributors, uh, mediocre Jay Horry. We get in arguments uh, when we get into Bloomington and, and have a few pops of, about uh, Brad Underwood. But I, I second that. Sorry, yeah. Craig. Uh, you, you can dislike Joe and I both. I do think he does a good job. I love listening to him in press conferences. Mm -hmm. As a coach, I, I'm usually 100% pro coach around the country, and I really, really enjoy listening to him explain what happened in a game, both on, after wins and losses. And I just do. I think they play yeah. basketball in a certain way. Uh, that is, you know, he he loses the big man, and then he IU a couple years ago, and now they're back in it. And I know there's been a lot of controversy over there with the the Terrence Shannon stuff. Yeah. But I don't know all of the legality and stuff. I'm just talking uh, pure basketball. Yeah. But I, I just I just think there's some really good basketball. You mentioned Minnesota. Penn State, two teams that have yes. been at the bottom of most Big Ten power rankings, wherever you look for your power rankings, and they're making a run. I think it's impossible for them to make the NCAA tournament. I'm not saying that at all. They're way, way down the consideration list. 
But they're giving teams fits, and they are playing good basketball. The rebound for those two teams, your thoughts? Yeah, Penn State. So I'll start with Penn State. They were, um, you know, as I, as I did my offseason work, I watched film on, on every transfer and freshman coming in. So um, just watching a couple games film on, on all these transfers, I'm just – one of my more confident takes was like, I don't know how Penn State does it, but they were projected roughly four to five Big Ten wins. I was like, I don't know how Penn State does it, but they're going to find the way to get to six or seven Big Ten wins, and they probably are going to pass that. You know, they're six and six with was eight games left, a um, couple winnable games for sure in there. And Mike Rose has just done a good job of he has their identity. They are going to be it is a much worse team than last year. Um, all due respect to the for compared to last year's Penn State team, but they're going to jack up a ton of threes. They're going to be pretty good defensively, not great. Um, especially on the perimeter, that's where their their defensive identity lies with Ace Baldwin, who's been one of the better point guards in the Big Ten for sure. Um, and having him come over with VCU from VCU obviously helps Rhodes. Uh, just being able to have that him be able to go create an offense and be an absolute menace defensively. They're going to force turnovers, and if not, then you know teams are going to score in the paints. Um, but yeah, I, they're they're feisty, and that was I just thought that I thought they'd be better defensively, honestly. I, I didn't think this type of offense would be and offense is relative relative to preseason projection, I would say. But that's also because Kanye Clary has really stepped up. He's taken a huge freshman to sophomore leap. Um, but no, I, I think Mike Rhodes, that's just who he is. He's it, from you look at his time as VCU, just some scrappy teams and he's going to play. They're going to play hard nosed defense um, this year. They don't have the interior defenders to make it like an elite defense or really good defense. Uh, but they still have those those perimeter guys. He went out and in the portal, he got you know one one guard and one big, and basically every single other player was like this potential three and D type wing, six foot eight, in some capacity can shoot the ball and, and hopefully defend. So really good job by him and them. Yeah, Minnesota, um, they were one I was not big on coming into the year, and I the biggest thing was I didn't know what Elijah Hawkins could do. He took the jump from Howard to minnesota i was i didn't fully trust that he'd be ready for big 10 play um and he started to really find his groove you pair that with you know dawson garcia has been a top 15 player in the conference i would say pretty comfortably um and you get better shooters i love cam christie i, I think he's been phenomenal he i was pretty big on him coming into the season um and i think ben johnson as a whole especially after i would say once we got into big 10 play especially because um, i think they struggled so a little bit that first month or so He's just been so good, I think, of making adjustments that are needed, whether it be just running the ball through Elijah Hawkins offensively or figuring out what they need to take away defensively, which is where they've been improved. Um, I think he's done a great job. And like if if Minnesota gets to you know 11 Big Ten wins, I, I would have to guess he's probably Big Ten coach of the year. Yeah, very, very good job lately uh, winning some games. On the other end of the spectrum, Joe, we have Ohio State and Michigan. You know, Coach Holtman came in well-renowned, had a good run for a few years, but the last two years have just been devastating. And then Jawan Howard uh, at uh, Michigan, they, they, those are teams you, you would not have ever predicted would be sitting, I think they're 13th and 14th right now in the standings. Mm -hmm. Your thoughts on the fall of those two traditionally solid basketball programs? Yeah, I think Michigan, it's just a lot of roster stuff. Like They just – they went out and got a ton of power forwards, but it's not even that. It's that a lot of their skills, I think, overlap. Um, 
and Trey Jackson, you know, they, they have their differentials and, and Trey Jackson's like more of a slasher and Williams is more of a shooter and Nakama is more of your high post type player. Uh, I just don't think that the fit was there. And then I also think like, I, I feel like Howard goes away from what's working at times. And that's where a lot of like the second half stuff goes away. And then you have that combined with, um, it just seems like they don't always play together. Uh, like just as a cohesive unit. And then there's also the Doug McDaniel stuff going. There's just a lot of stuff going on over there at at Michigan. And none of it is really conducive to winning games. They were able to pull out the win against Wisconsin. Um, They're just looking now. They're only two wins since December, mid December is that Wisconsin win. And then the other one was home against Ohio state. Who's fallen off a cliff uh, once again. And the big thing is defense for Ohio state. Like they, this is, they're a team that, you look at the roster and it makes sense. You have Galen Thornton, who's good guards. You have battles of knockdown shooter. Mahaffey's kind of a makeshift four, can do a little bit of whatever. And then Akpar is a good rim protector. Um, they just they have not had the perimeter defense that I thought they would and that they had at the start of the year. And then you get that combined with it just seems like at this point, once the lead starts slipping for Ohio State or once they're down, it's just like, man, this is happening again. And, um, I, you know, Holman is what he is as a coach. I think there's like, he still has good qualities to him. It's just not been, it just nothing. They haven't been able to click for 40 minutes in a while. It feels like Um, even that Penn state win that they had in that mix, they were like, they wanted, they wanted badly to give that game up and Penn state just didn't allow it. Yeah. Giving up an 18 point lead to our Indiana Hoosiers uh, was something to watch the, the other night was an example of that. And Indiana, uh, took advantage of it and got a, a much-needed win to stay even in the Big Ten. Last question for yep. you, Joe, uh, is how how is college basketball in rebuilding and building a program? You hear the sayings, get old, stay old. How, how difficult is that to do with the transfer portal, the NIL, people leaving early? You need NBA talent in order to go far in the tournament. And sometimes the NBA talent works, sometimes it doesn't. So for Indiana, how quick can Mike Woodson rebound when, you know, we may lose Ware, we may lose Mbako, uh, you, you know, Xavier Johnson's not coming back. You have guys you never know, and, and we don't talk about names transferring in or out just out of respect for the young men in the program. Mm-hmm. But there are some people who aren't getting playing time where you might suspect that, they leave and that might even happen at a Purdue uh, at, at some point but it is so easy now to disrupt or have a roster disrupted for a variety of reasons and it's easier to rebuild that somewhat with the NIL and the portal as well but how quickly can a program really go from down to to up and then is that sustainable over the long haul you you see indiana uh, an average year that made the tournament as a 12 seed then a really outstanding year to get a four seed a little disappointed in the tournament and then again now down and they're going to have a lot of turnover again next year purdue has been able to write the ship a lot of our fans are waiting to get Edie out of there and then hopefully you guys come back down but your thoughts on just how to build continuity in this crazy college basketball world. Yeah, there's, there's a lot that goes into it. And I think that's part of what makes college basketball so fun is the NBA, which I, I do, I do love watching the NBA. Um, but the NBA, it is more so very much a copycat league and you still get that in college basketball 100%, but there's 362 teams in D one this year or whatever. And there's just going to be differences within. And so that's where it's interesting. And I think like Illinois is a great example. Back-to-back years, they 
went pretty heavy in the portal. Um, and last year it, it did just didn't click this year. Um, you know, they returned Hawkins, obviously who's big and they, it's not like they were, they returned Shannon obviously too. Um, but they get Domask in the portal. They get Gary in the portal. They get Harmon off the bench who have all contributed pretty significantly. And so I think it's probably just going to come down to as a coach, as a program, what they want to do. And, and Purdue has done it this year where it's, you know, the past two years, you just go and get one guy from the portal. You try to fill up this one little spot that you need. Um, and, and I don't we'll see what happens with transfers, but like Purdue won't probably have a roster spot. So they won't get like a transfer next year at all. Um, it's, but then you go to like IU and, and Woodson and uh, I know it's a, it's a new world with NIL and I'm going to quickly plug our show from yesterday. We were able to have uh, Boilermaker Alliance CEO, Dave Neffon, who uh, Boilermaker Alliance is like a, a collective that works with NIL for, with Purdue. Um, so a lot of like answers, if you want to know more about like NIL and stuff like that, definitely go check that out. Cause I learned a lot, but like you look at IU and, and they have, you know, it seems like there's the funding there that they can go get these transfers. It's going to be, um, whether Woodson wants to, and whether they all at the end of the day, uh, connect. And so I think that's where it's going to be even more important for like coaches. Like obviously they're in crazy important as it is, but like, if you're going to go get transfer guys, you got to make sure that they're good on the court and they work well in your locker room and Brad Underwood ran into that last year. Um, but then you look at Tom Izzo, he didn't go to the portal. Right. And, and everybody pretty much now is like, Hey, you couldn't have gotten, you know, rank Moss or, or Ben Cricky is two examples in the big 10 of like just somebody, some big. Um, and a lot of this is easier said than done on the outside than, you know, easier than being in their shoes and actually having to go through this. I know painter does a, a good job. It's been mentioned in recruiting and, and transfers. Like they do test basically to make sure that like not even on court, but off court, like the players fit within the program. Um, so it's a tough world with how NIL is. And I'm, you know, I think it's a good world and, and it's good problems to have to solve. Um, and, and hopefully everything gets kind of regulated and stuff like that. But it also makes it fun where Penn state, they've got 10 transfers and they're competitive. It, it can happen. It's going to be more important for coaches. And that's where it's like, I would say, if you were looking at a single individual season, we're going, I'm going back to coach of the year. Um, like Ben Johnson very much has a case. Mike Rhodes has a case, but if you're looking at like the, it, in college, especially coaches are so important in and coaching staffs in recruiting and you build your entire program where it's like painters built this program that's sustainable right now and, and has good players coming in and stuff. So it's like, you can make that argument too, for, for, how important a coach is. I know that was a lot and, and I rambled a ton in there. So hopefully it made sense, but uh, I'll leave the, it at that. The thing that I would like to just reiterate that you said is it's a basketball fit and a locker room fit. Yep. As much as it pains me to say this on a coach's corner for assembly call, the Purdue locker room from what I can gather is really, really tight. The way yes. they talk about each other in, in, in the post game conferences, and, and and everyone has their their set quotes and they're they're taught to say the right things, but you just know that Coach Painter gets the guys in that want to play for Purdue, and, and I, I'm sure there's good team chemistry a little bit at IU, but there have been some issues on and off the court that have raised some concern with the chemistry. And yes, the New York Yankees back in the heyday hated each other and won World Series, so you, it's not a you have absolutely have to have great team chemistry to win but joe it sure helps and, yeah. and i think you know to to 
part of recruiting is not just the stars. You can get all the five stars you want, but if they don't fit basketball-wise and if they don't fit locker room-wise, then you're going to have a down year. And I think that is you do need coaches to understand that and to work that and to have a philosophy. And I think that's what's something that Coach Painter has done well and why Purdue, I think he's been there 19 years, you have a consistent effort. And one of the concerns with all the IU fans that we've had three coaches uh, you know, in the last you know 15 years or so, that there's that there lacked that consistency. You got to find the right guy who can do all of the stuff. You're seeing a lot of veterans, Joe, leave uh, because of the new nuances, and it just takes a new breed of coach to be able to handle all of that. Joe, it's time for us to to start our weekend. You and I are going to be together in Mackey Arena tomorrow night. Yep. Uh, I wish every uh, one of you uh, Purdue fans uh, all the blessings in the world as you drive home with the loss tomorrow night and all you IU fans celebrate well tomorrow, uh, responsibly, the front porch will be open if we do happen to pull off this miracle. But Joe, before we go, please take some time to talk about, uh, the boiler in the stands and the feed to post work that you do. And, and then we'll call it an afternoon. Yeah. So boilers in the stands is Purdue, uh, hosted show. So, post-game shows after every one, kind of similar to what you guys do here at Assembly Call. Some interviews throughout uh, with, you know, we've had Fletcher Lawyer on this year. Last year we had Zach Eady uh, and a couple players. So uh, that post-game show, every, you know, every game is Boiler. It's Bragg, it's under Braggs in the Stands on YouTube. And then on Twitter, it's at Boilers in Stands. You can follow us there. And me personally, um, my Twitter's here. It's listed on video, but it's at Joe Jackson CBB. And my YouTube personal is Feed the Post, where I cover Big Ten in general. Uh, and so I do a lot of film breakdowns. So a lot of I, I just I enjoy diving into the X's and O's and, and why things try to work the way they do, or um, you know what adjustments teams make, things like that. And that's so that's my YouTube feed the post. Um, and yeah, so I, I really do appreciate you having me on. I, I've always enjoyed talking basketball with you before the game. So it's been it's good to be able to do it here on Assembly Call. Well, we appreciate you coming on on late notice, and and you just do excellent work, and and you help us understand the game of basketball, not only what's going on there at Purdue, but what's going on uh, in the Big Ten. We'd like to continue this back and forth between the two shows, but that's going to do it for this Coach's Corner. Uh, Thanks to Jared Morris for setting it up, and and Joe and everyone. We wish everyone safe travels tomorrow uh, to the game. Uh, Thanks to Bob Thompson uh, for the music, uh, and and. We'll see you tomorrow night at the post-game show. Uh, Hopefully it's a successful show for us and not successful for you, Joe. But we'll We'll see you later. And Until then. Take it from me, Jordan Halls. Keep your elbow in and your eyes on the rim. And go Hoosiers. Thank you. Thanks for coming out. Catch me if you can, Coach T. Ah, she's going to see the Suns JV game. There's... Going to be none of that here this afternoon. Joe, again, we're still live, by the way, but thank you uh, very much to everyone in the chat or who is listening afterwards. Uh, thank you for uh, watching this uh, episode of Coach's Corner, and we will sign off. Good night, everybody. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.